If you have your Bible this morning, I encourage you to open it uh, to Luke chapter 1. Hold a finger there, all right, and then go back to Matthew chapter 1 and hold a finger there as well. We're going to be back and forth between those two sections of Scripture. If you don't have a Bible or a device this morning and you want one, uh, there's some over in the window. There's some back uh, in the back underneath the giving box, uh, uh, and we don't need it back. If you need a Bible, please take one, make it your own, uh, and, uh, uh, but I encourage you to follow along with us and maybe jot down a few things because we're going we're gonna to fly through some Scripture this morning, and I want I encourage you to go back and to read everything slower uh, in, in, in its entirety uh, this week sometime. Last week, uh, we talked about this page right here uh, between Malachi and Matthew uh, and how it's blank. Some of you sent me pictures uh, about how this page is no longer blank uh, in your Bible, that it's filled with all the ways that God worked during those 400 years. Uh, and I, 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 love, I love that, and I lo- I'm so grateful that last week wasn't just beneficial to me, it was beneficial to at least some uh, of you. Today, we're going to, to, to look at the birth narrative. And it's a story that we're pretty familiar with. And if you were paying attention to the words that you were singing or the words being sung to you this morning, you heard a big chunk of it this morning. Um, but I want us to go through the birth narrative this morning, looking at some of the main characters and some of the main events uh, in the in, in this story, it starts in Luke chapter one, uh, when 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 Mary, right by the uh, best that we understand, was a teenager, right, a, a teenager who was betrothed to be married to Joseph, uh, and an angel appears to her. Gabriel appears to her and gives her this news: you're going to have a kid. Right, uh, and it's funny to read that encounter uh, a little bit, and because the angel was like, "Greetings, old favored one," and like you got to figure, like Mary's like, ah, "What's going on?" Okay, I, I remember all right, the three times that Shelby and I learned that, that we were expecting, and we have four kiddos, remember one set of twins. So three times we heard, and hearing it from either Shelby when we, when we were expecting the girls or from a doctor that says we're, you're expecting was a big enough shock. Right, so imagine what Mary, what Mary must be thinking and experiencing right now. One, she's hearing it from Gabriel, all right, an, an angel of God. Two, she's not married. Right? She, she's a virgin. Right? So, so for God to come and send an angel and say, hey, guess what, uh, oh, oh, favored one, you're going to have a kid. Right? Her jaw had to have hit the floor. Right? Uh, that's, just, the, uh, that's impossible. But the angel reassures her, and they have this dialogue back and forth, and we're going to look at some of that a little bit later, uh, but also I want to encourage you to go and read the entire section of Scripture. So there you have Mary, teenager, expecting, unwed, right? And if you go back to to Matthew chapter 1, you pick up on Joseph's part of finding out about this, right? He finds out that that he hears, probably from Mary uh, initially, that, that, hey, we're, we're expecting, right? You talk about being floored, right? Uh, a shock to Mary had to be as equally a shock to Joseph. And he's got, I mean, I don't know what thoughts are running through his head. Like, are there thoughts like Mary stepped out on me or what's going on? But he has all these thoughts. But it says in Scripture that he is a just man. So he doesn't want to bring any shame on Mary. So he wants to do what is the best, the best way he can. So he thinks, he starts thinking, okay, I'm just going to take care of this quietly. And she can, her family can take care of her. I'll move on with my own life. But then he goes to sleep and an angel appears to him in a dream, explains everything to him. Uh, I don't know. It's still, I mean, if I had that dream, 
right? I'm waking up last in the morning and said, I am never having chili that close to bedtime again, all right? But, but, but he, you see what Joseph does? He gets up and he does what the angel told him to do. He is obedient. So you have young girl and her husband. We have no clue, right? We like to conjecture everything about how old Joseph might be, but we really have no clue, right? This couple, betrothed, not married, find out they're having a baby. That's crazy. That's confusion. Yeah, they have to be living in a little bit of chaos right, right then. Right? How did mom and dad, how did the families react when they found out this news? Right? How, how did they protect Mary? As, I mean, because um, it's different than it is today. Right? There would have been shame heaped and heaped and heaped upon Mary. Right, for having a child before her and Joseph right, were, were united in marriage. So you have all that chaos and confusion going on. And then uh, you learn in Luke chapter 2, if you, you go back there, right, that it was census time. Caesar Augustus said, hey, it's, time, it's tax time. Right? So, so he has everybody right, go to their, their, their hometown to be counted for tax purposes. So so you have Nazareth, which is where Mary and Joseph are, and then you have Bethlehem. By our standards, Patsy, it's not really a long drive, 90 to 100 miles. Okay? There's been times where, <coughs> uh, where Chad and Randy and Mike Miller and, and, and Jeff Howell and Jason Wyden and I have said, hey, we, we haven't spent time together for a while, so we'll hop in a vehicle and drive to Charleston just to get pies and pints pizza and spend time together. Right? And then we'll drive. that's the only purpose we go. Right? So it's, it's nothing for us to, to go, I know it's not 90 miles, but 90, 100 miles, it's just a, it's just a couple hours at most with bad traffic. Right? But it was a bigger deal right? a couple thousand years ago. Right? They weren't blessed with Priuses at this time in history. Right? They didn't have that kind of thing. So they were traveling by horse or donkey or walking or if you were, depending on where you were from in the known world, uh, a camel. So, so, so you have this, day, this trip that would have taken a man and a donkey about four days. Right? And I'll back up a little bit. It would have taken a man and a woman and a donkey about four days to make. It would be hard. It would be rough. It would be long, long day riding or long day walking, but you could make it. But we're not talking about any, just any old man and woman. We're talking about a man and a pregnant in the third trimester woman making this journey. And because we already know that Joseph was a just man, we have to figure that he cared just a little bit about Mary. Right? They were betrothed, right? There was this relationship that had been starting, and hopefully there's a little bit of love towards Mary. Right? Hopefully Joseph just didn't tire to the donkey and just hit the road and not stop. Right? Uh, but, so Mary probably didn't even go, want to go to Wits on a Friday to get her, 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 her date day uh, uh, ice cream, right? let alone make a 90-mile journey. Uh, I don't know if you realize this or not, but most Bible scholars uh, throughout history have been men. But as I've been preparing for this over the last couple of months and just reading, uh, there's a, a female Bible scholar by the name of Nicole DePew. And she had this to say, and I think it's both revealing and a little bit humorous. She said, most Bible scholars, in my experience, are men. And I don't think they really understand what it would be like to travel as a pregnant woman in her third trimester. 
Aside from the practical problems of not getting to take bathroom breaks and eat food, a four-day journey would indicate that Joseph doesn't care about Mary at all. There's no need to rush. So I think that Joseph would have taken a slower pace for Mary's sake, and he would have prioritized her health and safely. More than likely, this travel would have taken this expecting couple about a week. But still think about that. A hundred miles, seven days, right? Getting ready to give birth. Chaos, confusion on this young couple. And they arrive at Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem is a small little town, right? I want you to think, uh, anybody ever been to Barlow, Ohio? I'm sorry, Barlow, Ohio. Uh, anybody ever been there? I'm from there, so I'm not making fun of anybody but myself, all right? Ever been to Barlow, Ohio, right, for the, the intersection there? I, I'm not saying you should do this, not saying that I've ever done this, but at most times, you can come up to that intersection of 550 and 339, let the car slow down to two, three miles per hour, nothing coming, go right through. Not at Barlow Fair time, though, right? Avoid Barlow, Ohio at Barlow Fair time. You will stay there forever. That's a little bit about what, Nat, what Bethlehem would have been like. On the high end, 1,000 people. More realistically, three to 500 people right? in, in normal times. But it's census time. So all the people who had their home close uh, to Bethlehem would have been converging on this little town. Right? Several places say up to 100,000 people converging on this little town built for 500 Right? Hello, Barlow, Ohio, Barlow Fair Time. Right? Confusion and chaos. Right? And, and while they're there, Luke 2 tells us in verse 6, it was time to give birth. Now, normally, they would have just uh, went to, to a, a, some, a family's home, knocked on the door and said, hey, we're in town, can we stay with you? And custom was, yes, you can stay there. But no, this was census time. So family had already been there, and you know Cousin Eddie had already taken uh, up residence in the family member's house, okay? that, which means they didn't have to go to a hotel, to an inn, but no. Why? Census time. All those rooms are booked. The no vacancy signs are flashing. Okay? So where do they end up? They end up giving birth placing Jesus in a manger. Now, for us, that conjures certain images. Maybe it conjures a, a, a red farm barn, right? That's fine, right? Maybe it conjures up ideas of a lean-to built up against the inn where they would have stayed. It could have been a cave where they have chiseled out alcoves uh, in the rock wall to feed the animals, a la a manger, that is where Jesus was born and placed, not in a family home, not in a hotel, right, in a place designed for animals. That's where he was born. Confusion, maybe a little bit of chaos mixed in. But that's not it, right? Because after Jesus has been swaddled, after he's been placed, after they're, taking, they're just learning to take care of him, guess what? Visitors show up. Right? Uh, back in, in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, right, we know that there's shepherds in the same region tending to their flock, and the heavenly host appears and say, hey, did you hear what happened in Bethlehem? Savior's here. After the angels leave, uh, the shepherds say, hey, we ought to go check this out. Now, imagine all right, the oddest person showing up at the hospital uh, room to welcome a newborn baby. 
That'd be a lot like the shepherds just showing up unannounced, right? Trying to get, wrap your heads around taking care of a baby in a barn, right? And here comes some shepherds, right? And unless they left their sheep outside, sheep came with them, right? Confusion and chaos. Now, when you guys, over the next couple of weeks, start to complain just a little bit about the confusion and the chaos about ready to to converge on your house or a family member's house, pump the brakes. Because what is in store for you doesn't hold a candle to the chaos and confusion that Mary and Joseph experienced as our Savior entered this world. But notice, notice how Mary and Joseph handled this. Notice how they reacted. And Mary, right, when she's hearing all this from the angel, from Gabriel, she says, I'm the servant. Let it be. Uh, Joseph wanted to be protective of Mary, right? didn't want to shame her, was quietly going to divorce until an angel spoke to him in a dream and said, it's going to be all right. This is God working in you. Joseph wakes up from that dream and is obedient during the course of the pregnancy, right, during those nine months, uh, Mary goes and visits uh, uh, Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mom, right? And we don't see her like, I can't believe this is happening, right? Both of us, how, 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 how's this, uh, out of all the, we don't see them complaining, we don't see them confused, we see Mary break out in song. Right? Now, ESV, I love, I just want to read this, this part of this song out of the Christian Standard Bible. My soul, this is Mary, pregnant teenage Mary singing. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because he has looked on me with favor, on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed, because the mighty one has done great things for me, and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their, of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from, the thrones, from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. And Mary singing praises in the chaos and confusion to the one who has blessed her. How, how in the midst of the chaos and confusion can Joseph and Mary act this way? With everything going nuts around them, how can Mary offer up praise to her Savior? She did so. They did so because they were in God's will and in God's presence. Why can't we act that way all the time? Why can't we act that way more often? Well, I don't want to be a jerk. Too big of a jerk. But guys, we have chosen to chase after everything, not God. Mary and Joseph had to cling to what the angel, what God told them, to their presence in chaos and confusion. We've distanced ourselves at times from God and his will. 
We've chosen to look more and more like the world around us and less and less like who Jesus, who Peter says we should be as a peculiar people, uh, as a chosen people, as a holy people set apart for something amazing. You don't agree with me or you just turn me off a little bit, tune back in for a second and do, one, do two things for me when you leave. Don't leave yet, but this afternoon, hey, do, one, do two things for me. Go to your calendar, right? On your phone, hey, if you still have the calendar hanging on the kitchen door, go look at it. Okay? Pull out your, I know this dates me a little bit, pull out your checkbook register. Right? Or pull out your credit card statement or your online banking statement. Look at those two things. Either the biggest piece of evidence for or against us, uh, pieces of evidence for or against us, are where we spend our time and where we spend our money. Right? What does it say about how closely we cling to God? See, we often don't react as Mary and Joseph do because we have chosen the voice of chaos. We have chosen a life of chaos and confusion. We've cut God out of the equation. We have reduced him to morning quiet time. We have, we, we have in, a, in a poll, well, we, we cry out, Jerry Maguire, show me the money rather than show me your glory. Exodus chapter 33 and 18 is taped to my screen in my home office. Please let me see your glory. We, we are the most busy generation in the history of the world. We make exponentially more decisions than our great-grandparents did just two generations ago. It is ridiculous. One poll conducted a survey for H&R Block, uh, and it was found that the average participant in the survey uh, claimed to be so busy, busy that they couldn't find more than 26, hour, 26 minutes of free time a week. Uh, the average American is currently putting off 14 things on their to-do list. i like, no way. But then I went and I got my work journal, and I saw how many things I had bounced from one week to the next week to the next week just over the last couple of months. Over six in ten of us uh, are, are putting off basic life skills or life tasks like getting medical checkups or house care or self-care or even paying bills. Psychology.com uh, reports that a meager 45% of Americans actually use their, their, their vacation time, their paid time off. Right? And the majority of that 45% work on work stuff while they're supposed to be on vacation. We are a busy, busy people. We choose to cram more and more and more into our schedule rather than to choose Sabbath. We choose, to more active, we, we choose one more activity over our, over our involvement in worship, in study, in service, and the evidence isn't nice. You've heard Gretchen, right? You heard Scott McClure, probably heard Brett Hauer, and sometime you're going to hear Mark Elliott say that the church, that on, in an average year, the church gets about 40 hours with a child. Now, that may sound like a lot, but start comparing that to how much time your family gives to your child's t-ball schedule, soccer, dance, art, student council, all of these things. 
Even if you read Christian-based research, whether, whether it's in something more, um, more, more, more for, the, for everybody like Christianity Today or some stuff that Barna does that even digs deeper, regular church attendance is now defined as two times per month. Right? Try that out in some other avenues of your life. Right? Joe, try showing up uh, to, uh, to work half the time. Right? Mike, try showing up as a husband 50% of the time. See how it works for you. Right? In all honesty, it doesn't work here either. Right? We, we want our children to experience more and more and more of life rather than to learn what it means to be that peculiar, that set apart, that, that holy people we were created to be. We've exchanged We've exchanged the truth of God for lies. We've worshiped the created rather than creator. We chase our own desires, often lustful desires, over the will of God. And we do all of this because we allow confusion and chaos to reign supreme in our lives. We swing with the vibes, with the, with the flow of culture. And here's the kicker, guys. One day, all that stuff that we are spending so much energy, right, so much, so much attention one day, poof, it's going to be gone. It's either going to fade away or it's going to be yanked away from you so quickly you're going to wonder what happened. Only God and what he provides lasts forever. And this is available to us because, as we read last week, in the fullness of time or at just the right time, in the middle of the chaos, love came down. Jesus came down. And to, last week we looked at 1 Corinthians 13, 4a, when we said that love is patient. Right? Those 400 years between Malachi and Matthew weren't wasted. Right? God was doing something. He was up to something during that time. This week I want us to finish that sentence. Love is patient. Love is kind. God is kind. And Jesus' coming is the most monumental act of kindness that you will ever experience in your life in eternity. Kinder than anything the world will give you because it will not be taken away from you. The, the kindness of the world is just a smokescreen designed to add to confusion and chaos. But, the, but God has something different in store. Hopefully you don't get tired of hearing 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God of the, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Sometimes in the midst of the chaos and confusion that we're trying to live, we, we ask God, we beg God, we scream for God to speak louder than the culture. But often, he intentionally stays quiet, and he asks us to tune in to him. Last week, even in the silence, God is, in, is not inactive. This morning, even in the chaos, God is still the voice of reason. First Kings chapter 19, right? Elijah, the prophet, was living in a chaotic time. He was going toe-to-toe -to -toe with Ahab and Jezebel, maybe the nastiest king-queen combination in the history of the world. He had went toe-to-toe -to -toe with them, and he was not decapitated yet, right? But he, was, he, was, he needed some interaction with God, right? He started throwing a pity party. God, I am the only one remaining faithful to you. Please show yourself to me. 
What does God do? He goes, okay, I'll do that. You need to go to the mountains and wait for me. So God went, or Elijah went to the mountains, right? And he was waiting there to see God in something big and something huge. And you know what happened? Right? There came a roaring wind. And Elijah's like, yeah. But God wasn't in that roaring wind. Uh, along came a, a violent earthquake. Elijah didn't see or hear God's voice in that violent earthquake. A raging fire was next, but God's voice didn't speak through that raging fire. And then a quiet whisper. And that's when Elijah encountered the voice of God. God told the psalmist of Psalm 46, in the midst of Jerusalem uh, being attacked by the Assyrians, to basically be quiet and know who I am. He said, be still and know that I am God. God told Jeremiah, or through the prophet Jeremiah, he told the Israelites who were living in this confusion of the Babylonian domination. He said to them, you will seek me and find me when you search with me with all your heart. Jesus, the son of God born into chaos and confusion. During his public ministry, when he needed time away, when that chaos and confusion started to press on him, what did he do? He didn't scream for God, hey, do something big. No, he went to the mountains and he communed with his father. He sought him out. We live in times of confusion and chaos. None of us will ever doubt or deny that. But that doesn't mean that our life has to be a life of chaos and confusion. In the midst of the busyness of life, choose to intentionally focus on your creator and redeemer. Now, I had several things listed, and originally I had them all focused on you guys. And this morning I got up pretty early, and I went through and I changed all those yous to we's. Maybe we have some vacation days that we're about ready to give back to the company that maybe we should cash in as 2023 rolls to an end. Maybe we have a lunch break that we could better utilize uh, and spending time with our Savior. Maybe we need to turn off the TV or the iPhone or the iPad and pick up a Bible. Maybe we need to, to get up a little bit earlier to intentionally commune with the one who gave us that morning. Maybe we need to see a need and meet a need rather than complain about the needs that our neighbors apparently have. Maybe we need to show someone who is, shirting, who is hurting a little bit of love rather than sharing a little bit of gossip. Maybe rather than letting these next few weeks get consumed with busyness and busyness and busyness, Maybe we join the efforts of those who are trying to make much of this baby Savior King. Maybe we stop rationalizing our way through life and, and, and start saying no to things that have no eternal value. Maybe instead of one more thing, we add one more moment, one more minute, one more hour or day in the presence of our King. Mary and Joseph had this peace and chaos and confusion, not because they knew about God, but because they knew him. And the only way you can know somebody is by spending time with them. Right? You can't just read about them. Right? You can't just you know, hear facts about them. You have to commune. You have to be with that person. If you're a believer this morning, I want you to know that you can have that, that peace 
that comes. You can have that, that, that calm in the chaos and the confusion because of the one who came to redeem you. And if you're just scratching the surface uh, on that, 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 that relationship, you love, him as, you love him as Savior, but you really don't know him as Lord, maybe you need to spend some time melding those two together. Today, if you are not a follower of Jesus, hear me when I say, not only is he a good, good father, but he is a good, good king. The world says, right, the world will offer you one thing. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. A few, verse, a few chapters after that, John says, or John says in chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. So let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You can know him today as the Prince of Peace. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. At just the right time, in the midst of chaos and confusion, in the form of a baby, with ten fingers and ten toes, love came down to bring you peace.